Hi, I'm Forrest Griffin. Brian Carraway. And Lisa Tate. What's up, guys? This is Joseph Benavidez, UFC flyweight. Hi, this is Greg Jackson, and you're listening to It's MMA Zing, and that is an amazing pun. Get it? Like MMA, but amazing? Amazing. Radio. Welcome to It's I'm Amazing Radio. I am your host, Dr. Law. With me, as always, DJ Mark. Sup? Also with me, Lavender Gooms. Pancakes one, waffles two, French toast three. Mike, thank you for bringing something that no one has any context for. And your stupid ass rackings. Mike's an idiot. Let's yeah, Mo, what is this stupid ass right? French toast one, French toast or waffles are one, and waffles are one and two, pancakes three. Okay, and also with us, Kid Presentable. I mean, I'm gonna say I'm gonna try to come in and match your energy. I'm a little tired, but here's what we're gonna go. Here you go. Waffles, like I said, it's the improved pancake. French toast is an alternative to waffles and pancake. You know, that's a, you might have a different taste. That's where French toast comes in. Is maybe you don't want this stack of batter. You always want the fried crispy stack of batter than the soggy one, Mike. No, 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 no. Let me tell you guys something right here. Waffles are way too hard. All right, look. Pancakes, pancakes, it's almost like frosted flakes, right? Whereas like the first five minutes of pancakes, when you put that syrup on, the best. But obviously you got to eat the pancakes quickly because after that first five minutes, then the consistency goes really downhill from there. Yeah, that's a big problem. When your food's only good for five minutes, you have to wolf it down. That's an issue. That is why I would agree with you after five minutes, especially after 10 minutes, waffles would be better than pancakes, but you can't beat the first five minutes of, of pancakes when they come straight out of the uh, the griddle. Mike, you're oh, essentially... The, the you're, you're at- the, uh, Connor McGregor, you know? He, after that first round, he's not so dangerous. Now, a pancake is just a sponge that soaks up syrup. That's all it is, okay? Also, Stefan waffle, knows the... A waffle, Steph- a waffle is just a syrup holder. No, it tastes good. The thing itself, it's got a little... uh. What's it got? A little cornmeal in it or something? You know, the syrup doesn't compromise the waffle. Yeah, they blend together. The syrup compromises the 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 pancake. And the issue with the pancake too, that's why you got to put shit in the pancake. You got to put blueberries. You got to put chocolate <laughs> chips because the pancake by itself is not going to get that shit done. Also, right, French right. French French toast introduces eggs to the equation, and eggs are the best fucking thing no, we're okay. discussing here. Can go with anything. That, that, that's that's a no. It's in thing. the batter. There's eggs inside the French oh, toast. I'm saying. Okay. And also, Stefan knows the one place though you don't buy waffles. Because we made that mistake. In general, I'm not a big Belgian waffle fan. The Belgian waffle is where it becomes a bit much. Just don't buy the Denny's. That's don't buy we... the Denny's one in particular. <laughs> yeah, that's a big mistake. Made that I'm mistake. Gonna wild card in here. I'm going to throw a wild card in here. Mike, maybe you got you can attest to this. You guys had the chance. I don't think you probably made an emphasis. We had Japanese pancakes. Those those bouncy, Mike, like, airsoft. I did have those. Oh, I was going to uh, say, that's first, the one pancake first, to rule them all pancakes. There, we, uh, first week I was there, we had a bunch of uh, purple pancakes in uh, celebration of Halloween. Uh, they weren't good. I did not enjoy them at all. Um, Maybe that's American just a bad pancakes one, are the way to go. Shots, <laughs> fire, shots fired at the people who gave Mike the purple pancakes two years later. Before we completely pivot, I have to tell you my, my Denny story. Me and Christine, she actually said this a couple weeks ago. I was like, let's go to Denny's. We haven't been to Denny's in like forever. And I know you love Denny's. So we went to Denny's 
and I'm looking through the menu, and and Steph and Bobby know there's only one thing I get at fucking Denny's. It's the moon's over my hammer. I've been getting it since I was 10, and I get it today. I'm looking through that menu. There's no fucking moons over my hammy. My life is topsy turvy. I don't know what's going on. Did you not know about that? The the ham sandwich has been discontinued. Dude, there, there are articles about this, man. It, it hasn't though, Bobby, because all that happened was my fucking menu is missing the center pages. I looked at oh. Christine's. I'm like, oh thank God, there's moons over <laughs> my hammy. Everything's back to normal. I, I, maybe they got rid of it, but that's dumb. That's the only thing they got going for themselves. So you, you know you can make that, man. It's like. It's not, same, that, it's not that complicated of a sandwich. Two slices of cheese. I think that's really the killer. Bobby, do you not get the concept of money? It's what I trade for things I don't want to do. I don't want to learn how to do. I don't want to take the time for. That is what money is for. I mean, fundamentally, it's a sandwich with scrambled eggs, ham, and cheese, right? Yes. Two slices of cheese. I On mean, both sides. That is key. I think that is what, what changes it from... Look, I've had plenty of egg sandwiches at home love them they're great nothing touches that moon's over my hammy baby it's extra greasy you know um i'm actually very proud of myself i haven't derailed a conversation quite this badly in a long time (laughs) and i've never done it this quickly before i mean goddamn buddy Um, i mean you started it so you you're you're fucked up yeah your fucked up breakfast preferences um all right boys and girls some amazing radio uh what are your preferences pancakes waffles or french toast i would be interested in hearing these results i mean jesus if you're saying pancakes we're gonna have to talk all right (laughs) um all right boys and girls we're gonna talk about ufc 239 because despite i'm just gonna call it a weird main event where at the end of it i think we all just shrugged and said "Eh." overall awesome card a lot of stuff happened and um we're going to talk about the biggest thing that happened on this card, which when you have the greatest male fighter ever arguably fighting and the greatest female fighter ever fighting, and they're not the biggest thing that happened, you know we saw some wild shit. Um, Jorge Masvidal, him and Ben Askren talked a mountain of shit to each other. Fight starts, Jorge Masvidal gets a running start and knees Ben Askren's consciousness all the way to the Las Vegas Medical Center, because that's where he found it. All right? He got knocked out in five seconds. And in reality, Stefan, what, three? Two? Two seconds, it's probably, really? It's, it's probably about two. It's the first contact. He's unconscious from the knee. The punches are academic. They just added the time that it took the ref to stop the fight. Yeah, nobody made any mistakes either here. The referee, you got to give him a minute to fight. You got to get up. They got to make con- They got to come together. You can't just start in the middle of the cage assuming this is going to happen. Um, Jorge Masvidal, I mean, I believe the kids refer to this as he's a real one. Um, Jorge Masvidal ran out of fucks a long time ago. And, um, cause if that didn't go well, he was going to be on his back. He didn't give a shit. He knocked Ben Askren the fuck out, hit him two more times. Um, not against the rules. Probably didn't have to do that though. The man was unconscious. His explanation today was, I'm not as, ta- I'm not as talented as Valentina Shevchenko. I don't know when someone's out. I'm just a dog. I'll keep fighting till you pull me off, which I'm scared of Jorge Mas, but also there'll be no criticism coming here. Um, knocked him out, punched him two more times, talked some more shit to him while he was there. Apparently said, talk some more shit now. Then mocked Ben Askren by just mimicking his stiff position. An old Tink Abbott talk. Yeah, he went full Tink Abbott there. Um, there were a lot of memes. Um, Ben Askren got memed to death 
He was the number one post on Reddit. Um, like the top comment was, this sport is insane. I gotta watch it, which, Jorge Masvidal just sold some fucking pay-per-views next time, I guess. Um, I am the one who picked him to win. Not, didn't think that was gonna happen. Um, Marcus, we all like Ben Askren, but this was like the realization of everything this, anybody's ever said about this dude happening all at once. Being one-dimensional, getting knocked out. I mean, this UFC career of his so far, not great. Let's go with that first. I mean, before we get to Masvidal's end of it, Ben Askren, things aren't, for a man who's one and one, not great. I mean, I don't know. What was your take on the situation for him? <laughs> I mean, mostly, I mean, this, these things happen, you know, flash knockouts happen to the, to the best of them. And really my biggest takeaway is like, man, this is really stupidly simplistic genius that Jorge Masvidal and his team figured out because the, the whole game plan just, it works to a T. And we, I mean, we saw it work to a T because obviously Jorge's game plan of running at Ben, like the first thing Ben's going to think is like, oh, perfect. This idiot's running right at me. Time time to shoot a blind double leg. Just throw my head down and the takedown will come. And I think that's that's the, um, a criticism you could throw to Ben sometimes. I, I've seen some of his entries to takedowns have been kind of sloppy because he kind of knows if I can just grab the legs, I can work to a single, work to an ankle and get you down somehow. So Jorge knows once I run at him, this dude is in takedown mode. He's ripe for a knee. It was just a a magnificent plan that, you know, was performed flawlessly that had spectacular results. And, you know, there was a lot of, a lot of heat here before the match. And, and like we, you know, like, like a lot of your preamble, Bobby was about, you know, Jorge Masvidal, Nate Diaz, you call them the real ones. That's what the kids call it. There, there's some real gangsters out here. There's some people that don't see this fighting as a sport, as an extension of their martial arts career. These are dudes that fucking, if there was no UFC, they'd be in the back alleys fighting for, you know, whatever dudes we putting up around a circle. You know, this Jorge Masvidal, I found the first time I ever saw him fight, he fought Kimbo's protege in the Florida bare knuckle fights. He was the all I knew he was the MMA fighter to Kimbo's protege. Lo and behold, many years later, we see that, you know, this guy's fucking legit. He knows how to fight and he's always there for a brawl and he doesn't take shit from anyone. He's extremely talented, but I was just really I mean. On one end, I would have liked to see these guys go at it for a while to really see how Jorge would dealt with the the takedowns and the wrestling of Ben Askren. But what a mar marvelous plan executed to perfection here. Um, yeah, Marcus, Marcus, sorry to interrupt, but we also had um, his teammate, Dustin Poirier, saying, hey, they told me he's going to do this. And if anybody doubted it, Dustin Poirier posted the text from Mike Brown saying, Masvidal is going to start this fight with a running flying knee at Ben Askren. Yeah, like, this is part of the narrative that yeah. is built up after this fight is that like not only was this just like a really fantastic, fun, short fight, but this was all premeditated. This was calculated, you know, and obviously these guys have trained together. And I don't even think you don't even need to be in the wrestling room with Ben to know that his only objective when he's standing is to take you down. And if you present an opportunity where it looks like that's going to become a very easy uh, scenario for him to get in when you're running straight at the guy, he's, he's of course, is going to shoot in. It was just so smart and just pulled off so spectacularly and you know the extra punches w weren't necessary but i mean this is mma you know th this stuff happens it, it's not like i think Jorge also said you know it's not his job to stop the fights it's his job just to beat the shit out of a guy until someone tells him to stop which is the referee's job and that's what he did here and you know maybe 
a more respectful man like a good Dan Henderson or a Mark Hunt would would walk away and be happy. Okay, with wait, Dan, Dan Henderson dropped oh, wait, the no, biggest. No, no, Dan Henderson is the worst <laughs> example you could have given, Mark. It's his yeah, goddamn yeah. logo. Is punching an X. Is like punching Michael Bisping. The last punch, you didn't know he was. Oh no, he dropped that like it was a fucking Macho Man elbow drop. Um, but uh, it was a yeah. Um, Ben Askren uh, talked about it today. He's like, you can't call that lucky. That man clearly practiced that. He got me. He says it sucked. It really sucked. He got me. Um, Mike, um, what was your thoughts on, uh, I mean, did you watch it live? Did you know what was going on going into it? What, was your, what were your thoughts when you saw that? Yes and no that I watched it live because I had the fight on. And I took about 10 seconds, I think, to go pick something up right when the, the fight started. And then I looked up and Ben Askren was on the floor and Masvidal was already getting pulled off of him. So didn't watch it live for, say, saw the replay and saw that super, super D from hell that Masvidal hit him with. And you can't say it's luck because, yeah, it was a big gamble by Masvidal, but it takes a certain amount of confidence in yourself to know I'm going to try this crazy shit. And if it doesn't work, I am literally going to be in this guy's domain. So you can't say it was luck. And you also can't say it was luck when, you know, uh, his coach uh, texted another fighter and said, Hey, Masvidal is going to do this beforehand. And you see video him practicing it two days before. Yeah. Um, I, uh, he came out of this, um, Steph, um, in your opinion, we're sitting here with Colby Covington, the man who I don't know. I don't think he's interim champion. Because, Bobby's favorite fighter. Yeah, clearly. But he's fighting, um, fuck, help me out. Robbie Lawler. He's fighting Robbie Lawler at the beginning of August. I, me personally, we, I mean, I said it last week on this show. I thought they booked that kind of expecting the winner of this fight instead to get the next crack at Kamaru Usman. What do you? How do you think this goes? Do you think we're gonna, you know, get Jorge Masvidal, Kamaru Usman? Do you think the UFC waits and sees what we got with the Colby thing, or you know, or somehow Robbie wins? I guess even. But what do you? What, what would? You, what would you do? Let's go with that first. And what do you expect them to do? Uh, what I would do is I would give the title shot to Ben Askren because I like him, and uh, he got knocked the fuck out, but I still like him. What do I think they do? Uh, you said it, Bob. This shit was trending. Um, and what does this UFC ownership group that do? They're, they're reactionary as fuck. If they got a storyline to run with, they're going to run with it. So, um, you know, Colby, I expect him to control Robbie. I, I, I think he'll probably win. I don't think it'll, it won't be as spectacular as this. However spectacular he might finish that fight, it won't. I, I, you know, I would put money down. It's not going to be as much as this. It's, it's a momentum based game now. So I see no reason, uh, Masvidal probably won't get it. Like they're 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 desperate to sell. Kamaru Usman is not a name. That is that is a fighter's fighter. We we know how legit he is. We as M MMA podcast can realize what he did to Tyron Woodley. I don't think Kamaru Usman sells. Um, yeah, I don't. Well, I don't think anybody on the street knows who Kamaru Usman is. But uh, people on the internet are talking about this Mosfidal guy. So he's going to be the one who carries the pay per view if that comes to fruition. Steph. Um... I mean, we, I think we can both know because there will just be money in it. He might just fight Nate and it'll make more money than the title fight would. Uh, that's also on the table. Yeah, I mean, I think we can agree at this point that the UFC not, not booking 
Colby and Tyron, for whatever reason, they didn't get booked. I mean, they kind of just left that money on the table because that was the matchup that we were building towards, it seemed like, with all the, all the shit talk going both ways. And whatever hand Colby had, he kind of might have overplayed it at this point. Mike, um, in re- with reference to what happened after the fight, um, I heard, you know, I, um, Brent Brookhouse, who I want to say he's up maybe bloody, I don't know if he's a bloody elbow anymore, but he did a really good job of summarizing what the current state of fandom and MMA is. And I want to read this quote to you and let me know what you think. He said, mm. I love the segment of MMA fans who love pre-fight trash talk slash taunts, but go to the, but go to the pearl clutching if the trash talk and taunts after, if, if, if there is trash talk and taunts after a fight. I especially love that the sub, sub, the sub segment of those fans who also complain about pro wrestling because what you seem to want is pro wrestling. Um, I, me personally, I think he did a pretty good job of describing what exactly is this shit is right now, where people somehow want this to be a whole bunch of shit talking and then everybody stops. Like it wasn't, you know, like it didn't affect them. You know what I mean? Mm. Yeah. You know, I think that some people think that, you know, well, these guys are martial artists. So after the fight is over, you know, they should bow, be respectful and everything is, you know, hunky dory afterwards. But no, these are these are real people, and sometimes what people say crosses the line. It's not just all fair game when it comes to whatever you say in the fight promotion. And Ben Askren is he is a known and habitual agitator, and Jorge Masvidal he's not really one of those guys that I think has talked a lot of shit in his career. Mike, you said habitual um, agitator. You I want you know you want to say what the word I was expecting you to go a different way with the word habitual. Hab- We've all habitual seen habitual line stepper. There we go. I was waiting for it. Thank you. <laughs> um yeah, I mean Marcus, I think you brought it up when Khabib went insane last year. Um and this isn't us justifying it what anybody did. Um but I think it's people need to recognize the reality of the situation like this isn't a fucking game for some people, right? You say enough things where some people's background is, it's gonna re it's gonna lead to consequences. Yeah, I mean, sometimes yeah, I, I can't speak to why certain fighters are that way or even and also I don't uh you said who said this quote about like the fans and stuff? Because th- those kind of quotes, I mean I'm always wondering, like, okay, do you know specific fans that are falling into this, or you just see the fandom being like, Oh, I like this, I hate this, and you're kind of contributing oh, these are all the same people? Because that's why I always get confused when there's these message boards and forums and messages. That's like, fair. Oh, that's fair. I mean, it's, it's hard to take a temperature. It, it, you know what I mean? That's you're a fair really point. Following yeah. the users, and why would you? Why would you want to follow, you know, Clip Puncher 59 and look at, oh, let me really break down how this guy sees things. Like, who cares? No, really? I'm sorry. What, what was that guy's username? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's always something fucking awful, you know. But it, Did and you it's say just... Click Puncher 60? Sure. No, nah, man. Okay. He's, he said Clip Puncher. Go ahead, Mark. Oh. Yeah, but it's just like in, unless you're unless you're really looking at particular people and saying like, okay, why are you being contradicting? It could just be different people saying different things. But as far as I go with the smack talk after, I mean, look at if you obviously before the fight you can say well, they're selling the fight, right? Maybe maybe th- th- there's this facade of bad blood or animosity towards each other, and maybe that that's manufactured to get your interest in the fight, so you pay the money and you watch the fight. And when the fight's over, they're like, you know, this was all just part of the business. We've seen Connor do that many times in losing and winning. Like, this is just part of the business. We're selling fights here. And then there's sometimes it goes over the line, right? And these guys really get emotionally invested and really do want to beat the shit out of each other. This is 
the one athletic competition, that's all right. This is what you get to do with the person. Look at if you go out and smash this dude you hate and you still have animosity, you know, that's on you, Jorge. You know, if, if you can't let it go that you just demolished this guy and humiliated him and you still need to talk shit, hey, look, do what you got to do. Um, I also think it, 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 it makes it hard, too, especially in Jorge's case. He probably has lots of pent up emotions. And he just blasts the guy and is like, I really wanted to beat him up more. <laughs> like, I was really hoping I'd hit him with that knee. And I yeah, really yeah, yeah, and it probably was a round and then get it, you know, a finish. But sometimes, you know, that aggression, you have so much built up and it explodes in a second. And you're just like, oh, I'm still angry. I'm still filled with adrenaline. I'm not done yet. And that's why you see guys doing backflips and stuff because the adrenaline's pumping and it's not out yet, right? Especially when it's a fast flash KO like this. It's just, I have a lot of pent up energy. I was ready to go 15 hard minutes and it ended in five seconds and I'm still angry about it. And you know, that that's, I, if I was in the same scenario, I might be the exact way. I mean, who knows? I might punch I mean, Ben Askren and then when the referee pulls, I still want to punch him some more. And I get to be, you know, who knows? You know, emotions fly high. This is a sport where dudes are literally getting in a cage and fighting with each other. So I don't hold it against them if... They're still angry at someone. Yeah, and you know what? Also, like, I mean, I, 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 I mean, it probably wasn't fair to Jorge Masvidal for me to comparison. I went was with Khabib because Khabib violated every goddamn rule you and some laws. Yeah, but I mean, we've seen it before. I mean, Steph, your opinion on this as well? We've seen, you know, what Jorge did. We saw Dan Henderson murder Michael Bisping with that. We saw. I remember when Quentin knocked out Rampa, uh Vandalay. He dropped him unconscious, hit him like three more times. Hell, we saw fucking um, what's his name do it to Luke Rockhold. You know. 20 minutes before, right? So, I mean, your thoughts on what we got there, I guess. Um, You know me. I, I kind of, I, uh, not in a mean way. Not like, not a mean way. I, I don't care. Um, I've always said UFC is a niche sport. That's the ugly side of this niche sport. That's the details that casual people turn away from. That's the casual, that's like, that's the detail that like ESPN guys who, what is this UFC thing? They don't like that, the extra punches. Um, you know, that's that's the rednecky side of this sport. But I've been in on this sport since literal UFC one. I kind of punted standards of violence out the window a long time to get in this. But I will say I, that's the type of aspect which will forever make this a ditch sport in my eyes. That's fair. Um, going out of this just real quickly, Michael Chiesa referring to um, Jorge Masvidal as street Jesus. I'm OK with that overall. I'm okay with that moniker. We're gonna go. I mean, with well, it, it, it's mostly a look thing, and not yeah. his. His he's not really trying to be Jesus. No. <laughs> not, he's not. He's that. not handing out. He's not handing out loaves and fishes. He's he handing might, out ass kickings. Saw a picture of him. He's like, you know what? That's a good looking dude. Dude's cut as fuck. He's got long hair. You know, a beard. that might be a good look. You know, someone brought up and made me laugh. It was a, someone on Twitter where they're like, "Yo, Hamasvidal's last fight. He started with a running flying kick to Darren Till's balls, and he likes Darren Till." Like, yeah, like, what do you think he was going to do to you, Askren? Um, by the way, I, the thing that bothered me, I heard, I was listening to Askren on Ariel's podcast, where he's like, you know, that was the first time I've ever been stunned or dropped or anything, and I'm like, you were not conscious for part of that Robbie Lawler fight. We saw you go limp. You got hit with a burning hammer, like, and you got pounded on for a bit. I, he, the way he was reacting, he was, he was pretty much just like, Oh, you know what happened? Like, I mean, I don't think he's walking out of this thinking he needs to make adjustments. And he's had two UFC fights. And I honestly, I don't know how. I mean, he very easily could be 0-2 with getting not. He's had two fights and he's got his bell rung in both of them. You know what I mean? I think he needs to maybe consider exactly what's going on with this level of competition. 
the one thing I would give him a little credit for, he, he's been fairly gracious in defeat. You know, he, I mean, there's really of not course, of course. he could say that would like, I mean, you could just make yourself look like an idiot, which I mean, he kind of did in his first fight when he was like, is that the best you got? And it's like, no, we have a lot better. And that one that you bested almost beat the living crap out of you. So. It, that was clearly satire. Who's taking that seriously? But, that it, but it's just like, he's just like, yeah, you know, but I mean, at the same time, you know, I just, I thought his few comments where I think on Twitter, right. He just said, well, that sucked. It was like, okay. You know, he's not he's not making a big stink of it like it was a, a sucker punch or, you know, and not like it would be or I don't even know what excuse he could make. Maybe that's why he's being so gracious is there's literally no way to get out of this. You, you can't pull a chill and be like, I beat the shit out of that guy and I, I won that fight, but he put his legs on. I'm like, no, he jumped and kneed you in the face immediately and you crumpled like a sack of potatoes. So maybe not a lot of room for t- trash talk. But I thought that was, you know, all right, you know, you talk a lot of shit, but at least when you get it handed to you, he took it well, I thought. I enjoyed um, Chael and Bisping did that post-fight show on ESPN+. And Chael was making me laugh because Chael's, like, talking to Anik, who's the other guy there. He's like, John, what is this? You guys have you have two trained professionals here. You got you got Michael Bisping, Hall of Famer. You have me. I fought in multiple title fights. You need two people to explain a five-second knockout to you people? They know what happened. It's pretty clear. Um, yeah, that was that was incredible, man. And I really hope we see... Usman versus Masvidal. I think that's fun. Though, fuck, if I see Nate Diaz versus Masvidal, I can't believe we haven't seen that. Mark, we were talking about it, right? Like, how have we not seen that fight? It's <laughs> weird that he hadn't fought Nick or Nate because yeah. they both came up in strike force. It's not like the talent pools were, like, super deep there. So it's kind of weird that they didn't cross paths, but they didn't. And it would be a fantastic fight. I mean, I think stylistically, if I want to book Jorge in his next fight where he's going to be the most action-packed, I, I'm doing against a Diaz brother. I think Usman... Could be not as exciting. You know, he he presents a lot of problems that Ben w- was potentially going to present to Jorge, but his stand-up's a little bit better, and I have a feeling he's not going to fall for the flying knee, but if... Well, you know, I mean, Jorge, Jorge has excellent takedown defense, man. There's no The only person who's ever looked good against Jorge Masvidal was um, Toby Amada, and that took a fucking upside-down, weird-ass triangle, so... We'll see. I'm gonna be honest, Bobby. Um, I'm not gonna play the Mosfidal takedown defense card after what Usman just did to Tyron Woodley. No, no, um, that's fair. I'm that's totally play. fair. I'm not gonna play. Oh, I don't know if he can take this guy down. Until otherwise, Usman has the benefit of the doubt. He takes down who he wants to take down. Yeah, we'll see. Though, man, five rounds of it. We'll see. I mean, I hope. I just want to see the fight. I think it's gonna be a good matchup. And, and I like. I think times. we all agree. It's nice seeing a guy who's been working as long as Mosfidal has getting some credit at this point. Um, he said he wants to get paid, so God knows, maybe he won't fight anybody. He'll just wait for the UFC to not pay him. Um, all right, John Jones, Tiago Santos. Um, the scoring part of this, I don't think is that. I don't want to say it's not relevant, but the fact that Jorge Maz, that uh, Tiago Santos tore all his shit and had somehow, if he had somehow won a split decision, I'm not sure what we've accomplished here necessarily. But I really came out of this fight with two minds. Here, Mike, which was ooh, Tiago Santos is too tough for his own good because the man tore everything in his knee. And the other end of it is, what is this John Jones not taking motherfuckers down shit we're going through right now? Um, what did you think? You know, where did your mind go? Because I'm somewhere in the middle. I was like, I didn't know what to make of this fight at the end of it because I didn't come out saying Tiago Santos was better. I just came out thinking, what the fuck is John Jones doing? And holy shit, this guy's tough. Well, I think on your first point, I don't agree with, well, he was too tough for his own good because 
he likely tore all his shit at the end of the first round. And I thought he won the first and second round and wouldn't have thought it was the craziest thing if more than one judge had given him that fifth round. So if he was trying to gamble on, well, all my shit is torn anyway, I might as well push through it. He almost won the title based off of that strategy. So I am completely fine with him bulldogging it and going through it because he was still kicking pretty well, except for, you know, the few times when his knee almost gave out on him during the fight. So it was working out with him there. And on the other thing with John Jones, the reason he gave was that he said that he wanted to beat him at the area that he was uh, strongest in, in, in regards to, to Santos. And if that's the case, this could be just John Jones, you know, challenging himself, um, trying to see what he could do, because it could probably be very easy for him just to utilize his, his wrestling, which is top notch and, and take Santos down and beat him that way. But he wants to test himself. And isn't that what we expect from all true martial artists? That's, you know, fair, but. I think if you're trying, I don't know, I believe in the George St. Pierre method of how do I win this fight without getting fucking, you know, without, you got to be risk averse, but Jesus, I don't know. I don't know what to make of it. I mean, Stefan, do you have, I mean, what did you think when this was over? Um, You know, split decision was as perfect as it was going to get because I know how judges score. I scored the fight a draw. I unequivocally scored this fight a draw. I thought one Santos, I thought two was even. Three, four, Jones, five, Santos. Um, that was the swing of the momentum. Um, I, I give Santos credit. You said John Jones didn't shoot a single takedown attempt. He did. He shot one and he didn't get it. Like, okay, I didn't say he didn't shoot a single takedown. I didn't. I said he was. He was an. Impl- I wanted to phone with you. I said he didn't shoot a single takedown. <laughs> I, I rectified it okay. and just said his non wrestling strategy. Okay, yeah, that is fair. Um, for our conversation, but uh, I give Santos the credit in it. Um, because. What is, what is the one thing, in my opinion, that Santos did not do um, in this whole fight? He did not gas. Um, up till the end with a torn shit, he was throwing heat. And he connected on a lot of those punches. John Jones, we just know this now. He's got a chin. He absolutely can take a shot. Like, that was always the hope, right? That was the hope was, well, we've never taken, seen him take a shot. But then we saw him take some shots, and he's been relatively unfazed. Like, they've hurt him. I've never seen him truly wobbled or stunned where I thought he was ever in danger of being finished. Like, I've, I've ne- he, he, so he's durable. Um, but what I said to Bob with the first thing when I'm talking to you was, this is the first man we've truly seen punish John Jones with leg kicks. Others have tried, but none have been able to do it. Because usually when you throw those leg kicks, you're in the range of, like, those hellacious elbows. And we saw there was, like, a recocked elbow so it was really short how much momentum he drew with it that he countered santos with and it dropped santos like you see him with it and with like one inch of course correction he knocks him down with it like that's how bad those elbows are. so that's another reason he could potentially have not wrestled those leg kicks were adding up john jones was switching stances i mean he had to get carried out we've seen the tell right and what happened when he went in he swung wild and some of those punches landed and he was throwing hard he never he never really wilted he never really broke under the pressure of this fight so that's another reason jones probably couldn't gone in it was the danger zone john jones it might have been his best avenue to use the the long game use the reach like you're in the danger of the power when you come in for a takedown unless you can really time it well as a counter but jones 
I don't know him as a blast double guy. He's more of a trip guy. He he gets you in the clinch and he like throws you down. But shooting from the outside's not really his his style of takedown attempts. He's more Greco, yeah. right? Um, so you couldn't he couldn't get in on Santos. He he didn't he like almost seldom worked in the clinch because Santos was fucking throwing with everything he had. So hats off to me. It's entirely hats off to Santos. This is a guy oh, of course. that I had no, I did not believe had any right having a title shot it was a war of attrition we called it right it was who else is gonna get it that's why he had a title shot but fuck with all due respect to uh alexander gustafson this was actually the challenge of jones life yeah um marcus um the john jones general strategy of uh let me do what the other guy's good at and it's like i mean i'm sure there's a psychological component to it too like let me it'll break the guy morally if he can't you know get me with what he's good at because we've seen him like oh i'm gonna spend this entire fight in the phone booth with glover even though that's what glover does best you know i'm going to you know i'm gonna take daniel cormier down just to make a point you know i'm gonna stand with rampage for an entire fucking fight you know what i mean like this is not the first time we've seen him do it this guy's 10 years in i mean he's 10 years into his ufc career he's been champion since march 2000 Mike, was it 2010 or 11 that we saw this guy win a belt? <laughs> where, 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 when were we there? Um, it was March 2011. 11. He's been in title fights with gaps in between due to his own stupid-ass indiscretions for eight years. What do you think? Do you think this man needs to maybe be like, hey, man, let me do what I'm actually – let me maybe try to employ a game plan that is more based on my strengths rather than combating the other guy's strengths? Or, I mean, do you think this was more of like this just happened this one time and he met a guy who – just wouldn't go away. I, I mean, I think this is just how John Jones fights. I think if you don't pressure him, he's more than happy to sit at distance and throw oblique kicks and front kicks and a high kick every now and then. Uh, he doesn't want to be in the pocket with guys because what I saw in this fight, I mean, obviously, what really sucked about this is Santos got compromised very early in this fight. And that first round, he was doing very well. I mean, it wasn't an action-packed fight, but... Tiago Santos started finding range and he started finding that I could step in on Jones. And as long as I don't step into a kick, I can get in range. And Jones really doesn't have much of a defense besides backing up. And he throws his arms out. He throws his arms out to try to get away. He turns his head and he tries to back away. And that's a really bad defense. But when you're as long as John Jones and you have the footwork that he has, he can get away from most guys. And Santos started finding success there. Once his knee, you know, you know, gave out on him, his options really became slim. He couldn't put weight on that leg. Um, he couldn't, pursue john as much so he kind of had to wait for those moments where john got in close to throw punches and like what stefan was saying john jones did try to take down attempt in the first round before santos was compromised and he just shrugged it off and the second round john tried to get into a clinch with him and santos just went crazy with a flurry of punches and i think that's kind of like john's like saying okay you know what i don't want to go that avenue i'm doing all right here at a distance he's not piecing me up i'm getting some good kicks he's obviously and i think him being compromised made some rounds look good for him, right? There's a part in the second round where Santos' knee just buckles, and then Jones throw, tries to throw a high kick. It hits him in the chest, but Santos kind of falls over and stuff, and it's like, this whole fight, I'm just waiting to like, okay, when's Santos' body just going to give out? And it never did, to his credit, and Santos still found openings to make this competitive, and that's why ultimately at the end of this fight, I think a lot of it has to do with what Santos did and a lot of us of is like what Jones didn't do because he didn't really do a lot. He kind of stuck on the outside in the third round. He really started throwing harder kicks where I was like, okay, this guy's trying something here. He's trying to hurt him. And then he kind of let off the gas again. And, you know, I don't, I don't really buy into this. Like, Oh, like 
I'm trying to beat them at their own game. Like I'm a ma- I just think he's comfortable there. I think he's really comfortable at a distance, especially when the guy's not piecing him up. He's taking some shots, but he's not getting hurt. And you can see it in the fight. Like Santos hit him a couple times really good. Jones, there was no fuck. It's not like no sweats falling off. Besides in the first round where his mouthpiece got knocked out, and that was probably the most vicious looking strikes he hit. He really just he just shrugged all of his offense off and just kept going forward, took the center of the octagon and kind of controlled things for the most part. But I mean, ultimately, what I want from Jones is, yeah, to utilize all his skills in, in the best way he can and stop kind of laying back on something that he's good good with and comfortable with, which I think is his weakest aspect of fighting, which is his stand-up. And honestly, I think the second round, if he would be able to get a Greco clinch on Santos, try a single leg on the leg that's not bad, so his bad leg has to hold all his weight. Dude's knees buckling the fight. I mean, though. shit. The other, the bad, the good leg was the bad leg. But he's, it's still that leg's fucked well, he, too. Yeah, he started piecing it up with. Yeah, he had a. But I mean, I, I, I mean, the medical see- report is that his other leg is fucked now too because he put so much pressure on it. Like Jones, there was an avenue to attack this guy. You know his stability yeah, more so, so I, than I, he did. I think when you look at the end of the game, being like, oh, you know, he he he's trying to play him at at his own game and be the best. And that's what he says, and maybe that's what he ultimately. I think that's a really bad decision because you had a guy that was. I mean, you basically had a predator who's injured and you didn't go for the kill because you're trying to prove some point and you almost lost your fucking belt and your legacy because you wanted to prove something like, you don't don't prove shit to me. You want to prove something to me? Take this guy down and smash him with elbows like I know you can because it frustrates me every match where John Jones is just standing with guys and I see all these holes where it's like, yeah, you're not really good at this, dude. You're getting it done, but you could be so much more proficient and uh you know someone he's he's big enough to get away with what he does and he doesn't throw combos he throws single strikes that are varying he knows a bunch of different shit yeah but he's not just string anything together and he gets away with this because he's got a seven foot reach and i think is is kind of what steph said too it's like i I think he did try some wrestling in the first round it didn't go his way so he's like you know what i'm not i'm doing okay here i'm doing okay here i'm at a distance I'm, i'm controlling stuff i'm winning rounds i think he was just comfortable there i mean ultimately I think, like like I said before this fight, I do want to see John Jones really tested. I think he was starting to get tested in this fight, but because Santos couldn't move around, couldn't attack him like he could in the first, he fell back into these patterns. And we've seen it in so many fights, the Belford fight. When he's comfortable and he doesn't feel threatened, he's just gonna he's just gonna point fight you and he'll win those fights. And it's just frustrating because I know he's so much better than that. And I want to see that. And I feel like we only see that when dudes really push him. Like DC really pushed him, got in his face. He made him fight tough. And we got a spectacular performance out of John Jones. When these guys either it's Anthony Smith and he's not pushing the pressure because he's in, you know, mentally he just can't get it over, or Tiago Santos is compromised and his knee won't do it. He'll just fall back into this pattern where it's like, oh, I'm just gonna kinda win win rounds and, and that's fine with me. And I just I want to see more. Yeah, um man, we've talked about two fights for thirty seven minutes. Thirty eight minutes. This has been a hell of this was a hell of a card. The next for the man, Tiago Santos's shit is wrecked. Maybe one day he gets a rematch, but not right now. Um, Jan Blockowitz broke Luke Rockhold's jaw. Luke Rockhold talked a lot of shit. Um, it became pretty clear that Luke Rockhold was getting tired dealing with bigger guys. Um, Jan Blockowitz knocked him out. One of those follow-up shots broke his jaw. Jan Blockowitz is, uh, was putting together a lot of wins and before he lost to Tiago Santos. That's one option. Another option is Johnny Walker. I like John Jones now post fight. He goes on Twitter and engages fans and who they want him to fight next. He's like he had someone asked him about Johnny Walker and he said, "You guys really want me to fight someone who is unknown to the general public and hasn't even fought a top ten opponent yet," which is not the worst 
argument ever. Say, who's the two guys you just fought? Like no one. Well, no, they beat. They, well, they beat top ten people. Those guys. This guy. I love Johnny Walker. He hasn't beaten anybody. I guess is well, the like argument. each other. Like you beat yeah, Young, who's another no name top ten guy. Um, well, all, there's also all just did was he knocked out Glass Joe over here. Uh, you know, some of y'all, some of y'all keep wanting to believe. Let's just say. Oh, yeah. I mean, Stefan, you called it completely. Um, Luke, I am in favor of the Luke Rockhold doesn't fight, at least in the, like, maybe not in the UFC. Or I don't know what to do, man. That was bad. And uh, he broke okay. his jaw, so he's not fighting anybody for a while. I was talking with Mark a little bit earlier, and I think Mark is right if he wants to take the floor. Um, light heavyweight's not the answer. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Fighting, big, fighting really bigger guys was not the answer, man. No. And I mean, and look at, I mean, th there was some reason to be optimistic about Luke Rockhold going to light heavyweight. And you just look at who just fought John Jones the last two times. These were both 185ers that were fledgling at 85. Anthony Smith and Thiago Santos were not making names for themselves at 185. They were journeymen at best. Now you have Luke Rockhold. This guy held the belt. He's fought some of the toughest guys. We knew middleweight was kind of a tough weight division for him to make weight. So maybe, you know, there was a lot of signs pointing that we might get a better Luke Rockhold at light heavyweight than we would at middleweight. The reality that we saw was that was not the case at all. He seemed highly compromised. He couldn't deal with the strength. And one of Luke's best uh, offensive maneuvers is his left kick to the body and the head are devastating at middleweight. He smashes dudes' livers. He knocks them out with head kicks. They seem largely ineffective against Jan. Jan just brushed that shit off like it was nothing. He just, he did not seem to have the strength. Bob, you're muted. Sorry, Mike, what do you think? Luke Rockhold's getting touched up in all these fights. Even the one he won in the middle there against David Branch got dropped. Uh, I mean, the guy's got other options. He's modeled. You know, I mean, he's not broke. Man has some level of wealth. I think just based on his general lifestyle, you can tell that. What do you think? I mean, do you think we're just done in the UFC? We're done fighting, period? Because Dana White thinks he should be done. Uh, what do you think? Well, it's uh, it's amazing to think that, uh, you know, the one who started breaking Luke Rockhold was uh, Pillow Hands Bisping. But, you know, I, I think he might be done fighting top flight opponents. That's for sure. Uh, I know last week when you asked me for my fight picks, I picked Rockhold because I thought, well, you know what? A lot of fighters in the last year or so have had a good run of moving up in weight, especially when they were bigger in their original weight class of moving up in weight. And, you know, it gives them added, you know, added stamina, more quickness. And they're, they overall become better fighters because then all they had to worry about is training, weightlifting, and just getting stronger in that aspect. But, yeah, he's uh he's shown a penchant for for getting knocked out and you know getting you know getting his shit rocked and maybe at this point the UFC isn't for him. I can't believe we're saying this already about Luke Rockhold. It wasn't that long ago he was he was the middleweight champion, but I mean he can't hang with the big boys at middleweight anymore and he can't hang with the big boys at light heavyweight now so it might be time for him to reassess he is a very handsome man as i as i mentioned on saturday i mean we're also talking about you know this is a sport where somehow andre arlovsky went from getting knocked out by everything to getting a bit of a run at the end so we'll see what comes for the man um we got to go through this we're going we've got to get through the rest of this card um and finally, we talk about the greatest female fighter that ever lived stefan sorry we'll go ahead i'll say give me this one i'll, I'll keep it quick <laughs> I was going to say, um, your thoughts on Amanda kicking Holly upside her fucking head and 37-year-old Holly home? Are we done here? 
Uh, quickly, yeah, it's just uh, so I watched with Jackie, friend of the podcast, who's been on, and Jackie's coming at me with like, "Oh, this is a really exciting match." Like, "Oh, you know, I'm really excited to see Holly fight Amanda." And my reaction was, "Why? What is Holly possibly going to do to Amanda in this fight? She got no power. Nothing's going to happen. She can throw all her shadow boxing if she wants. Amanda is on a different level from everyone in the division right now, and that's the reality. Um, she's on a different level." We I don't know who takes down Amanda. We we had no idea who the number one ahead of Holly Holm was. Um, turns out it's Jermaine Duranami. What you have you have any faith in that? Probably not. Amanda she's on an island right now. Yeah, that um she got her with a head kick, and honestly for me, it was the previous head kick Holly Holm got hit with in that fight, where Holly didn't even see that shit coming on any level, and I was like, oh shit, this oh okay this is starting to turn bad, and thirty seven years old. You know what? Holly Holm didn't want to be defined by the Ronda Rousey win, which is a weird thing, quite frankly. Getting the maybe the you know one of the most famous moments ever to happen in this sport, but that's how her MMA career is going to be because it's not gone well anyway. Besides that, Amanda Nunes says she wants to defend her 145 pound title. The logical, and by logical I mean the only other people she can fight is the winner of Chris Cyborg and Felicia Spencer. I think Felicia Spencer's good, but I would be very impressed if she took out Cyborg. On the other end, we got Jermaine Durandamy fighting Aspen Ladd 60 miles from here um, in Sacramento this weekend. We'll talk about that a little bit later. And then I brought it up to Mark, and it was smart of her to message to, to put this on Twitter. Last time Amanda Nunes lost to anybody was uh, Alpha Cat Zingano. Um, we might be approaching the Chuck Liddell approach of uh, part of Amanda Nunez's career stuff where she just start redeeming losses. Um, yeah, she's going to be champion at least at 135 for a while, right? I mean, there's that's a wasteland. She destroyed that division. If she loses 145, it's because they shut down the division and they said, please give that belt back. Honestly, we all should have hoped that Valentina won either of those fights because that was the only close fight she's... That's, some people think she won, I mean, Valentina won the second one. I, I Everybody here, I think we all agreed. We thought Amanda won three rounds of that one. It's going to be hard to justify a third matchup unless Amanda just... Keep, unless both of them just keep destroying people, which is a very real possibility, if, especially at 125, where they just lack fighters at all. Um, I mean, I mean, that was not, it was like a month or two ago that Valentina sent Jessica I to the Shadow Realm. That's another one to which, I mean, Liz Carmouche going to take that bell from her? Uh, Katzingano needs one win, right? That's it? <laughs> and a title shot? <laughs> sure. This, these aren't compelling divisions right now. Someone, uh, should... new, new blood needs to rise. Yeah, I'm, you know what? They should just fight each other again. I'm okay with it. Um, and then, um, I just want to put this out there. Um, Diego Sanchez had one corner man who was not qualified, who was no more qualified than any of us to corner him. If you look into this guy, it was a very Edo Portal situation. And Diego was giving all these nutty quotes this week and everybody was talking. He's like, he's in rare form. Uh, we, he's done. His contract is up in the UFC. I do not need to see Diego Sanchez fight people um, at all. Maybe I'm just me alone there. I don't, I'm not enjoying this, especially when he shows up with unqualified people in his corner. Mark, I mean, he didn't get mauled totally. Diego Sanchez is a tough, tough, tough man. But Jesus Christ, what are we doing here at this point? Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's, 
this particular matchup really didn't play any favors to him. Michael Chiesa just seemed like the bigger, stronger, better grappler, and all Diego, Diego seemed to really be interested in was grappling. Um, and I don't know if he Sam also checked Michael Chiesa's oil. Okay, that's I don't know what that means exactly, but finger in the butt. I, I was unaware of that. I don't know when that happened before or after the fight, but that's knowledge I did not need to know. Um, but ultimately, yeah, it was it was a bad style stylistic matchup, and Michael Chiesa just really has found a home at welterweight. He seems strong, and he just he got on top of Diego, and Diego just really couldn't do anything from bottom. It was a good performance from Michael Chiesa, and when it comes to Diego, I mean, we've always known he's been kind of a weird cat, and I think it was also weird that he just, instead of having training partners in a whole camp with him, he just had this one random guy. Um, it would have been fantastic if he, this guy somehow, you know, embodied Diego Sanchez with a new skill set that made him a completely devastating fighter, but that wasn't the case. It seemed like, if anything, this might have been more of a distraction. It seems like, if anything, maybe the training regiment wasn't very strict. Um, but, you know, ultimately, Michael Chiesa just looked good in this fight. That's that's the That's the end of it. How the hell did this dude make 155 pounds, Mike? How in God's name did Kiesa's big ass make 155? Well, it's much like how um, shit, uh, how, much how like Kevin Lee makes 155 pounds. Who the hell knows? Uh, do you like the idea? of Some people are talking about that maybe the next fight being those two guys fighting again at 170 though this time. I do you like that or do you want to see some new matchups for the guy? For Kiesa, no, um, I'm I'm not really too keen on seeing that. Um, I think that with with Kiesa, I would like to see him fight uh, maybe a, a guy at 170 who's somewhere between five and ten at, at this point. See what his competition will be and what what he'll look like at 170 against a guy like that. Um, does anybody happen to have the rankings up at? The I moment? do at the moment. I like him versus. Ponzinibbio, I think that's yeah. a good matchup. Um, him maybe fighting if Colby loses, that'd be a fun matchup. I think that'd be another good one. I kind of want to see him fight a 170 pound guy though. I don't need to see him fight like a lightweight. You know what I mean? I want right. to see him fight a big guy. Are we speculating and, on Kiesa? Yeah. What do you want to see, man? Kiesa is a back ten high level gatekeeper. What do you want from him? You put. I mean, him what do you want to see? Well, what do you want to see next? He's whatever, float around the back ten. That's all he is. You put him against anyone in the five, he loses. You put well, Mike him against wants, Mike, Mike, ten, he wins. That's it. Mike said, Mike, Mike said he wants something five through ten. I thought that was fair. I'm just saying he is where he is. It doesn't matter. Um, that's what I'm saying. I like the guy too. Is this me coming off disrespectful? But I, I can't say I'm not excited about whatever he. There's a he's limited athletically, and everyone who's more athletic than him wins convincingly. And everyone he's just bigger than and more skilled than, he wins convincingly. Like, or, or, like, loses convincingly on the other way, sorry. But, I mean, I can't get excited about what comes Stephane, next for him. Because I know exactly who he is. Stefan, we have to root for these unathletic guys. Because none of us here are exactly packing eight packs. So, we, we got to root for these people. I got a keg. Um, all right. Um, and then Gilmer Melendez got outclassed by a younger, better fighter. I, I mean, Stefan and I have been on the Arnold Allen train for a while now. Kid fought really smart, really technical. Said he likes Wendy's more than in and out today, so I don't know what's going on with him. But uh, once the UFC pulls you off European cards and brings you to Vegas, that's a sign they're taking you seriously. And he performed accordingly. And Gilbert kind of half-retired afterwards in an interview. And he has, you know, he has options. He works for ESPN. 
He has a successful gym, in theory. God, if you're paying San Francisco rent, it has to be successful. I, We'll see where that goes, but he just doesn't have it anymore. He's 37 years old. 38 years, isn't he? Something like that, 38 years old. I think it would have been a lot more interesting if instead of him fighting Arnold Allen, who we knew from the outset, like, this dude's way too young. Gilbert's not getting faster as he's getting older and moving down in weight. Like, he's just as sl- – he's probably even slower, and he's fighting faster guys. Like, this is not – this equation just doesn't make sense. Why do this? Especially when we have this next card. I would have loved to see him fight Uriah Faber. That would have been a compelling fight for me. Instead of seeing both of them fight young guys, it's like, no, match the old guys with the old guys and the young yeah, guys. Yeah, my man, my Marcus, they want to get, I mean, like, you understand what they're doing, though. They want to build these guys' names off of something so they can say he beat former Bellat- former Strike Force champion. And then, you know, this week, we can say if this guy beats Uriah, which he probably will, oh, Ricky Simon beat former, you know, Hall of Famer, or beat Hall of Famer, Uriah Faber. You know what I mean? They gotta. That's what the usefulness of you are, of, you, of, you, of these guys like are. That's more useful when these contenders are actually contenders. Like when it's this guy was WC. Both these guys were WC champions. Like oh yeah, that division that that organization's been gone for a decade. It's like yeah, if this guy was a former UFC champion and that was in the last three years and he beats him, that makes sense. I mean, I mean what are they I, gonna do? What are they gonna uh, do afterwards when your forty-year-old Uriah loses to forty-year-old Gilbert? Though I mean, what's the end game? It's called the Legends League, and they should have been doing it a long. Uh, time That's called Bellator. They'll go to Bellator. <laughs> Mark, they people may not remember Strike Force or WEC, but the UFC in their commentary, if these guys turn out to be something in a fight or two, they could say, you know, this guy has beaten former champions. Yeah, that kind of bullshit generic. we get. Yeah, yeah, he beat former champions. Well, I mean, let me just say this. I mean, look, I'm a person that knows what's going on, so you don't have to just whack me off with some weird. I, I know Uriah Faber is old. Beating him is not the greatest thing. You're making it sound like it's better than it is. I'm just saying, I think Gilbert and Faber, that could be a main event. I might have gone and paid money to see that. I'm not going to see Faber fight some guy I don't know. I'm not going to see Gilbert fight some guy I know he's going to mop the floor with. This is like, these aren't compelling fights. I want to see compelling fights. Step on. What's that? Wait, 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 one second. Right now, man. Let me tell you something right now. If let's say I encounter a 90 year old former world heavyweight boxing champ, right? If he starts problems with me and I whoop his ass. Guess what I'm saying? I, I report micro abuse. I was gonna say well, I'm not bailing you out of jail if you beat up a 90 year old. Stefan, Gilbert versus started. Uriah Faber, an hour and a half away from here. Are you and I joining Mark, or is he going by himself? Because I think he. <laughs> tell, tell me how it was, buddy. Tell me how. It was. <laughs> yeah, tell us how it went. Um, I got Karate right. Hottie coming to a very expensive, shiny, brand new San Francisco arena soon. I gotta keep that money in the pocket for now. Oh Jesus Christ, that's gonna be a main event too. Um. Um, next week, there's a UFC card in Sacramento. We just talked about it. It pr- probably tells you guys something that, I mean, if you follow us on Twitter, you know I've been shit-talking this card when they try to put tickets on sale without a main event, and then they tell you the main event, which on it's, it makes sense contender-wise, great, but um, you can't main event a fucking paper, a, a card with Jermaine Durandamy and Aspen Ladd, and your co-main event is Uriah Faber versus some kid are you depending entirely on Uriah Faber to sell 20,000 seats in Sacramento? Because it's not 2010. Like, what the fuck is this? We we deserve... I lo- You know what? I like Scott Coker. But the, the best cards we got here in the Bay Area were those was a couple years where Scott Coker wasn't in charge of Bellator and the UFC had bought in Strikeforce. We got to go to, like, multiple cards in San Jose. I'm not going to drive to Sacramento for this horse shit. It's just not going to happen. Um, that being said... Aspen Ladd, I think the world of. 
I don't want her to win this fight because I'm worried she's going to get fed to Amanda Nunes. So I that's what I'm hoping Jermaine Durandamy wins just for that. Stefan, you got any thoughts on this bullshit? <laughs> Jermaine is boring. Uh, go, go, new person. Go, new person. <sighs> okay. Um, and yeah, Uriah, I, I want nothing to do with that because uh, I don't like Uriah. Uh, I, I had an iffy feeling about him for a long time. And what did we find out in all this fallout with TJ and Alpha Male? Everyone was right. Everyone said bad things about everyone else, and everyone was right. Uriah signed my poster and was nice to me. We have a good picture. No, yeah, Mike, I mean, you going to watch this thing? No. <laughs> well, I will watch the main event, and if you tell me Uriah Faber and Ricky Simon had a cool ending. What else is on this thing? Is it, didn't we mention Juliana Pena's fighting like on the third yeah, fight of the night? Yeah, uh, Nico Montana, and I think that's pretty compelling. Other than that, eh, there's not really much here. Yeah, we got Drakkar Close versus TBA. Uh, you know what? All of Team Alpha Male who is fighting. Why wouldn't they? They're all three blocks down the road. We got Touchy Feely. We got Darren Elkins. We got Josh Emmett. I'm sure some of these other motherfuckers train in Sacramento. Sure. You know, Benito Lopez, Vince Morales, one of them's from Sacramento. This is a garbage card. This is terrible. It's a beautiful new arena. They deserve better than this. For a city that hosted a lot of MMA. How many WEC cards were in Sacramento, Marcus? There are a lot of good shows. These people supported the sport. Five or six. I mean, it wasn't anything insane, but there was, yeah, there was a lot of good stuff there. And this card is just, yeah, it's lackluster. I mean, we've known it for a while. I mean, and honestly, when you look at it, there's a lot of, like, what my argument's been like, you look at this card up and down, there's a decent amount of names that I recognize. I'm just not particularly fond of any of them, so I'm not compelled to really watch these fights. What I do like, it's on ESPN+. Plus. It's going to be easy to pick and choose, so if I hear there's a couple barn burners in here, I can check them out easily. Um, and, and the Pena fight, I, I am interested in. That, that's the one that I'm like, I might check that out. You gotta, I mean, I was telling you, we talked about it before with these ESPN Plus cards. I'm okay with a bunch of, like, young guys and stuff, but you gotta give me one. Like, this one fight is, like, like when they book like Junior Dos Santos versus uh, fucking um, Nganu or something. Or like, you got to give me one. Give me one fight at least where I'm like, this is the one like that I need to watch. Or the one that Zombie just, then Zombie just kill a guy in ESPN Plus. Help me out, guys. Like something, you got to give me one reason to watch these. Yeah, he fought that one Brazilian guy. I can't remember that everyone was so yeah. hot on. <laughs> well, we fucking watched it. Um, anyway, um... I don't, I'm trying to check MMA news, say anything happened, but quite frankly, we're all living in a, in a world where everything, everything is 15 different angles of Jorge Masvidal knocking out Ben Askren. Yeah, we had so. a, a nuclear fantastic card, you know, the aftershocks going to be felt for a while. There's not going to be a lot of news pumping out. Yeah, I mean, we got a, we got knockouts by head kick, punch, and knee, didn't get elbow. John Jones could have given us elbow. <laughs> <laughs> he got close, you thought, when he dropped him, got close. We didn't get it, though. Um... All right, boys and girls, we said that if Mike would watch it, uh, we'd talk about it. Um, Spider-Man. Um, do you actually you know what? In fairness to people who haven't seen it, we'll end the show with Spider-Man. So if anybody has anything else they want to talk about, um, Stefan and I have already seen Stranger Things, so we're going to wait and see if the guys watch that. We're not going to go through that. Um, <laughs> beyond that this week, I don't think I really – I don't really watch anything else. Um, Mark, what do you got this no, week? No, I'm good, too. There's no games coming out. so. <laughs> Mike, you got anything? Mark, it's uh, National Video have... Game Day, and you got no video games? There's no deals. Some what weird day was this? holiday that yes. no one... Yes, they're all that. commercial days. There's like seven donates to the EAs a year. I, I literally read this like two minutes ago, Mark. Those holidays, like the industries that are 
promote like they promote it. It's like, oh, this is a have a sale or something. It's like they're not they're not even aware of it. It's just like some weird fucking calendars. Like, well, we need a holiday here. The fourth was just a couple days ago. Let's put video. I don't know. It's arbitrary and bullshit. Anyways, sorry, Mike. What you got? Arbitrary and bullshit, just like Valentine's Day. Am I right, Mark? No, I wouldn't go that far, but uh, not for me. Um, I rewatched Howard Stern's Private Parts today. So that was that was a racing movie when we were children. Back oh then. man, when that was on TV, whoo! You got to watch that. Oh, I loved when you watched on TV. Howard would stop and be like, "Look, there's some really sexy stuff going on, but I can't yeah. show you buy the DVD." That was yeah, well, 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 he's just like, "Yeah, you guys got to buy this. Trust me." Like, that was my favorite part. He was in there, twenty yeah. touching each other. You got to buy this. It's like, all right, Howard, I get it. Well, I watched it on Amazon Prime, so. uh I didn't have Howard saying, hey, 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 there's some real racy shit here. I just Smart saw all the racy shit. Uh, frankly, I think the movie still holds up. And uh, frankly, uh, I think it's still pretty racy even now as adults, man. Like, yeah, it's some pretty crazy shit going on in that movie. When he's talking to God about his, like, uh, not aborted fetus, but, like, his wife had a miscarriage. And, like, the yeah. next day they're talking. And you know what, too? Uh, it was a really great movie. And I wasn't big on Howard Stern. He just seemed like a shock jock. That just said like the most gross stuff. But watching that film, you get to understand who the person in is. And honestly, he is a really good interview. He knows how to interview people. And yeah, good stuff. And uh Okay, we're gonna get into Spider-Man here. Oh, Real I, quick. I don't get a turn, Bobby. Fine, oh, I thought you said you, had, you said you had, you said you didn't have anything, I thought. No, you didn't you just didn't go to me. But Okay, I, then I, go I, ahead, man. What do you quick? Uh happy trails to our man Andre Iguodala getting his number retired. But not just talking about that. Um I'm halfway through his book, uh Six Man. Um, it is a really interesting read, and uh, he gets heavy into race politics in chapter one. And I'm like, oh shit, we're just we're just jumping right into this, huh, Andre? We're just gonna go right into uh, old white man coaches using you poor black kids for money, huh? All right, uh, I find it a really fascinating read. Andre is a super intelligent dude, um, and tremendous basketball player. Um, helped bring us three rings. And so his, I recommend his book. Number retired. Number retired for like, the man. God bless you. If you're him. a sport person, check his book out. Right on. Um, and, yeah, women's national team. God bless them. No surprise. Even, God bless them. They're selling a shirt that says USA beat everybody. I might buy that shirt. It makes I like me that. happy. That's a good shirt. Um, yeah. I did see a nice – I saw a good uh, zinger tweet uh, uh, for a country that doesn't care about soccer or women. You sure are good at the sport. <laughs> yeah, that, <laughs> that, that was awful, the, all silver. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then real quick, nobody tweet me about Israel Adesanya versus John Jones. I don't need that. All right, I do not need to see John Jones give this kid a gorilla press slam and throw him into the seventh fucking row. If you would okay? grapple someone, I'd gladly pay to see it. Yeah, honestly, let let's see if this guy beats fucking Robert Whitaker. Let's see that first. And I love, look, I love Israel Adesanya because he went on Twitter and shit on all those horrible people who passed these draconian fucking abortion laws in Georgia, which I didn't expect from a motherfucker from, you know, Australia or is he from New Zealand? I always mix this up. But somebody not from here, okay, commenting on that took some nuts and I appreciated that. But seriously, guys, fuck. All right. <laughs> Let's wait on that. All right. Spider-Man. We all saw it. Um, I'm gonna. Far I mean, I think we all from home. far from home. I think we all, you know, thumbs up. Um, if you have not seen it, we're about to spoil the shit out of it. Okay, so five, four, three, two, one. Stefan, 
as our conductor of Marvel shit on this podcast. More often than not, why don't you lead the discussion? So for me, I will say, um, you know, uh, our uh, friend Eddie, he asked me if I want to see it Cheap Tuesday tomorrow. Um, and absolutely I do. Uh, my quick review is, holy shit, I never knew I needed Mysterio in my life. I just, Mysterio has always kind of been a joke of a villain, kind of a punchline, old fishbowl man. Um, very much in the way Aquaman was always kind of a punchline, right? We kind of thought he had this over-the-top kind of gimmick costume, but shit, those illusion sequences are some of the most visually impressive action sequences in any of these series, in my opinion. Um, Hall was fucking fantastic in the role. And, uh, for me, you know, short, quick, off the top, I say this is the second best Spider-Man movie to me. Compa- I mean, the, the the last one was the best one, you're saying? Uh, the last one as in the Oscar award-winning one? Yes, Spider-Verse. No, Ooh, I didn't mean Spider-Verse. I like I meant- I didn't see oh, you liked it more than Homecoming? I liked it more than Homecoming. So I think oh, it's a okay. My bad. Homecoming, but I'll say this. Homecoming has the best singular Spider-Man scene of any movie, and that is uh, Peter and uh mr vulture slash michael keaton in the car ride that scene oh oh, holy shit that's one of the best like marvel that's one of the best movie scenes that i have seen in a movie like i'm not even gonna give a superhero quality that scene was pure fucking gold but as a total movie i just thought the action and pace of it was a quite a bit better and far from home um and ultimately these are superhero movies i thought it was great i think i think i liked homecoming more spider-verse i uh watched again in a more sober state this time last time was at mark's bachelor party and, and um, you mean where he took breaks every 20 minutes to check on the burgers too i don't think that was the oh, best yeah. viewing policy man dude I, I if i was getting paid by the hour to be a cook during your bachelor party i would have gotten fucking oh paid, yeah man. <laughs> you should uh, um no that was um but i really i i liked i think i liked homecoming more because um i really enjoyed i mean it wasn't the i think the first time we saw this kid of spider-man was in Civil War, though, right? Yeah. Like, that wasn't the first... Yeah. But Under I, I, I was so happy to see the version of Spider-Man that I've always kind of saw in my head, you know? Because um, I didn't really... I mean, I'm not as well-versed as the guy as the guys here are in the comics, but most of my Spider-Man knowledge comes from Ultimate Spider-Man. I think I read the first, like, 80 of those. And playing games and stuff. And I never really thought Tobey Maguire was the right guy. The other guy just handsome. Just way too handsome. Um, I forgot his name. Uh, and the one who, the, yeah, the one from the Facebook movie, uh, Garfield. Yeah, this kid I think nails it, and he's got the act. I think he's got the accent down. This movie, I thought that. Um, I mean, I like Jake Gyllenhaal a lot, and I thought he was a great bad guy. He, especially once he became the bad guy, like once he once he went once he did the heel turn, because I was like waiting. I'm like, we're like an hour in. I'm like, come on, man, give it to me, and he really like. My vision of Mysterio and what I hear in my head is really comes from the video games. Because every goddamn Spider-Man video game has got the level, which is a giant pain in the ass dealing with all of Mysterio's bullshit. And he's taunting you the whole time. And I really liked that part of Jake Gyllenhaal in this movie. I thought he fucking killed it. I mean, and- I, I, sorry, I just want to give props to like the, the people who made this movie on that note of Gyllenhaal, right? Like, they were really good at keeping all the stuff in this movie under wraps. Like... We all expected this heel turn from Mysterio, but I know a lot of people out there were buying, oh, maybe they are doing this reverse universe thing, or maybe Mysterio is actually like a future Peter Parker. Like, people were buying into all these things that were Mysterio is not the villain, that they were going to twist it some way. And even knowing Mysterio is a villain, even knowing he's the master of illusion, like, I feel like, Bobby, when that scene dropped for us, because we saw it together, like, 
I feel like both of us were a little bit of a like a jaw drop. <gasps> you know, like we didn't see it coming like that, right? Like you expected it, but at the same time, like they did a so good a job of like not really letting you anticipate it. Like fantastic, just for everyone yeah. involved. I really, I thought they did a really good job. Who directed this thing? The Doesn't same matter. guy who directed the uh, the first Spider Man movie. I don't know what his name is. Good job to that Thank gentleman. Um, and I just want to say that John Favreau is excellent in all of these movies. He plays his role perfectly. And uh, we talked about it when we were talking about Endgame, where I said he deserves a lot of credit. Him and Robert Downey. When we were talking about Robert Downey Jr for the tone they set with a movie that they essentially made up the script for as they were filming it. And all these Marvel movies kind of have the same overall tone, I think, generally. I mean, there's different stories, but you can tell what you're watching. You know what I mean? You know what kind of movie it is. And the comedy mixed with the action with also, like, the real feelings, like the whole love story and um, Zendaya... She was, she's a really good Mary Jane Watson, you know, biased. She's from not Oakland. Mary Jane Watson for the record. Yeah, she's she just Michelle something. She's MJ. Okay, sure. But she's MJ. She's a really great MJ, okay? I, the way they've taken that, I just, overall, I thought they did a really good job. I went in with expectations and met my expectations. It didn't exceed them. It didn't go below them because I had pretty high expectations. My expectation was I'm going to come out this and say, this was a really good time. I'm probably going to like the first one a little bit more, which was exactly how it played out. Because I fucking love Michael Keaton. All right? Michael Keaton's the goddamn man. He's fucking Batman. All right? <laughs> Forever. Um, Mike, what'd you think? <laughs> yeah, no, I thoroughly enjoyed the movie. Um, much like you guys, you know, just being a comic book aficionado, I pretty much knew, all right, there's no way Mysterio's not going to be the villain in this movie. Uh, part of me almost started to think, yo, maybe he will be a... Uh, you know, an actual hero, or maybe it will be different when they started dropping, uh, like this is Earth 616. And if anyone is a Marvel guy, they know that that is the main Marvel universe. And when I heard that, I let out an audible, like, oh shit, it's real. When I, Mark I really heard it, he believe. thought I was going to be such a nerd and be upset about that because the MCU is clearly not Earth 616. But uh, I just like that Mark would recognize that I would have this thought process. Well, you know, I thought, well, whatever. Maybe this would be the thing. But I thought I thought Jake Gyllenhaal was really good in the movie. I like how they incorporated um you know uh the Stark tech and incorporated Tony Stark into Mysterio's uh backstory. Uh makes perfect sense that that barf technology that Tony Stark was using would be the thing that Mysterio uses since it was uh, so immersive that it could be used for illusions, which are what Mysterio's quote-unquote powers are. I thought that pretty much everyone in the movie um, acted their part really well. Um, I thought the the back and forth that uh, that Ned had with uh, with Betty and the few in the few scenes that they had together, being a uh, you know a microwave uh, couple while while in, on this European vacation, I thought those were pretty satisfying and funny scenes. And I mean, come on, which one of us was expecting that twist at the end uh, in that mid credit scene? I mean, that was amazing. I mean. One, everyone just finding out Peter Parker's identity and also the added benefit of J. Jonah Jameson being played again by 
well, by that guy, because I can't remember his name. J.K. Simmons. I'm happy you brought it up, Mike. Because I was saying, like, in the pantheon of, like, holy shit moments in Marvel for me, number one is going to be Captain America being worthy. That's just such a beautifully iconic moment that I stood out of my seat and yelled holy shit at, like, the top of my lungs with, like, 17 other people in the theater. But seeing J.K. Simmons reprise the role of J. Jonah Jameson, he's one of those guys I cannot see another actor in that role. I can only see J.K. Simmons. And uh, I love that they reinvented him being like an Alex Jones blogger type. I kind of think that's out of the video game, right? Um, in the it's from the game. cartoon, actually. Oh, it's, it's the cartoon? From the, 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 the car- is, I think the cartoon is a cartoon called Ultimate Spider-Man 2. I watched this thing. Because I know I in the know video this. game recently, they had him as like a podcaster, right? Because that's kind of more well, modern. Well, the whole like showing up on big screens and Times Square type shit, that is all fucking like that whole cartoon's been doing that shit for it's Ultimate Spider-Man, right? Yeah, yeah. That, whatever that car. Yeah, that is what he's been doing. When he did that, made me so happy too. I was like, oh yes, that's what I like. Very O'Reilly-ish. You know what I mean? Just like his hot takes. It, it was great. <laughs> um, Marcus, my, my, go to your my, thought. Issue, my one issue with Jay Jonah is in the movie theater. I thought, yo, they couldn't give my man a toupee. Like, why they gotta have Jay Jonah bald? That's how? Because we all know what this dude looks like now, Mike. <laughs> Come on, he's been in enough movies. Mike, it's a Mark, different universe. He's got different Mark, hair. Your thoughts, but also I wanted you, Mark, because you and I have talked about their ability to have like the best friend role for a lot of these comic book guys, the comedic, the comedic best friend. I remember you and I talked a lot about it with Michael Pena and Ant-Man. They do such a good job with that. And now Ned and Spider-Man. So your thoughts on that and the movie as a whole? Uh, yeah. Um, as far as the, the, the Ned character and, and the supporting cast, really, I mean, obviously, I think they do a fantastic job. I like how Ned is especially in this movie not just reg you know he's not just peter parker's friend he has his own storyline he meets a girl they start dating immediately and that's a really fun uh you know very authentic mature storyline they present really quickly so i thought all of the secondary characters were handled really well and had good space to kind of play um in the realm of the movie um my over overall i'm i'm very much aligned with bobby where i enjoy the movie a lot it was just so much fun um, I do want to watch this movie and Homecoming again just to kind of get my bearings on which ones I enjoyed more because it's been a long time since I saw Homecoming. But I do feel just in my head like I still enjoyed home- Homecoming a little bit more. And I feel a lot of the things that I didn't necessarily like in Far From Home was like the first half of the movie where I loved some aspects. I loved how they they really died. This is the first time after Endgame let's get some perspective on what really just occurred there. And they, they have a little PSA with the students basically going in and saying like, Oh, the blip happened and people that weren't here five years. And I love the line oh, of gosh. one of the co anchors saying that uh, he's like, yeah, my little brother, you know, he's, he's five years older than me. Like what the fuck? And I thought that was a really a great way to kind of get us all caught up. And like, this, this is the ramifications of what happened in those I, other movies. I thought you were going to mention Mark. Cause my favorite thing in terms of the blip was, uh, Martin's was it Martin's star? Is that his name? Yeah. The, the teacher, yeah, Martin Starr, uh, the teacher yeah. his oh, line yeah. that like, we thought my wife blipped, but, uh, she just used that as an excuse to go run away with another man. <laughs> yeah, it's like, I held a funeral <laughs> for her. Ramification. Man, I, of the blip. man, I didn't even talk about trucky. Sorry. Go ahead. Mark. Yeah. Um, but so I love that scene. What I didn't, what kind of brought me out of it was just like, they didn't really set up this European trip. It was basically they're already out. They're already doing it. It's like we're we're about to go on a European trip. It's like wait, everyone was just gone for five years. I don't think the school's gonna be like, all right, you guys have been here for a month. Let's get the fuck out of this here. Let's go on a uh, big Mark. <laughs> Mark, you may have missed the spot during that uh, exposition from uh, Betty Brant and the uh, the one with the brother who's now uh, older than him. Right. They talked about that eight months had gone by. Okay. Still, it's eight months. 
have the population came back. Don't think you're doing a lot of school trips to Europe. Just saying that one was just like, it did, It wasn't set up at all. It was just like, we're doing this. And I was like, okay, this seems a little weird, but whatever. I'm rolling with it. It's whatever. Um, and then that first half of the movie where they're basically setting up um, Mysterio, I thought it was good, but it was just, it was hard to get super invested, right? When he's fighting giant monsters, it's like, well, this is just a big blob you're fighting. And if you're, I mean, they, they, they build tension because the students are there and he's, He's juggling his secret identity and stuff like that. But ultimately, that first half of the movie was just kind of going through the motions for me. And it's not that I didn't enjoy it. I loved I loved the tension they were building with Peter Parker and MJ and him trying to get these opportunities to express his feelings and having to juggle the responsibilities. That That's classic Spider-Man stuff. And it was, it was done well here. That first half of the movie just... I was having a hard time getting into it. And really, I feel like where I really got... And literally... I'm sitting back. I'm out of the reclining seat. I'm sitting back, feet up. When they go to the scene where it's like, now we're going to talk about what Mysterio is all about. I'm at the edge of my seat. Yes, this is now we're talking. And I feel like from that point on, when we actually have solidified the villain and their motives, that's why I feel like the movie really kicked it up. Um, but ultimately, I just felt like that first half was just kind of like, okay, we're going through the motions to get here for this payoff. And it does pay off. And it was really great. Um, I think with Homecoming, I just like that narrative that the villain is directly related to Peter Parker's life. And Mysterio really wasn't. He had his own motivations. It wasn't directly related to Peter. He needed to manipulate him. But it wasn't like in a lot of the classic Spider-Man stories, uh, Professor Octavius is his mentor. The guy that turns into the lizard, whatever his name is, he's his mentor. You know, uh, like in the Spider-Man game we just played. Uh, the villain, Aunt May, works for the villain. Like they're they're very closely related to his personal life, and this wasn't necessarily the case here. And I don't think it always has to be. I feel like the stories are just a little bit stronger when they have that personal bent to them. Doctor um, Connor is the uh, lizard, though. Yeah, yeah. What I did like was my my two big scenes. I liked, and, and one of them we haven't mentioned before. One, I, I love how they finally reveal Mysterio because, like everyone else, it's you don't really know what angle they're going with it. You. If you know the comics, you know that he's a bad guy and he's faking it. But how is he faking all this? How is he doing the destruction? How is that actually working out? And when they explain it and it has all to do with the Stark stuff, it was just a, such a fun scene, especially like Mike said, calling back to the augmented reality barf. And you see you see him in the background like, Did that motherfucker just call my greatest invention barf? And having the other character from Iron Man 1, those were really great callbacks that I love. I love the continuity with the MCU and the Spider-Man movies. And it's kind of the reason why I liked Homecoming because... Avengers 1, the technology that was dropped directly related to, to uh, Vulture getting his like powers. I thought that was really cool how these events all tie into each other. And I thought it was really cool here as well. And then the other scene that we haven't talked about that I think is really one of the best scenes is where Mysterio is using the augmented reality against Peter. And you have a real Scarecrow-like scene where basically he's having all these weird visions. You have a bunch of Spider-Man coming up and punching him. He's falling through things. Um, I thought that that scene was very visually captivating and it also played into this this arc that they set up where everyone knows spider-man has a spidey sense where he can sense danger and he's kind of lost that and he's kind of regaining it and and that storyline was you know it was presented in the beginning with the banana getting thrown at him and kind of fleshed out towards the end but i didn't feel like it was super strong they should have had some more scenes where he's dealing with that and maybe he gets a flash of spider sense but he has to concentrate i I don't know ultimately i really liked the film i thought it was really fun I loved, like Mike said, the mid-credits little teaser, basically just blowing up. You know, it it was it was such a big cliffhanger. It's almost jarring. Like, oh, you can't just drop all this on me right now. Like, you dropped five big things all at once. Like, you have the identity, and you 
you're blaming him for the attack. There was just a lot going on there. And then the end credit scene, which you kind of see Nick Fury, which I also really liked because it kind of fleshed out why Nick Fury kind of, he, he seemed a little weird. He did seem kind of underpowered and not as in control, which kind of made sense because he doesn't have shield. He's kind of a rogue agent kind of doing things. But then when you find out that like, oh no, this was a, a scrawl that was just playing Nick Fury. That really, that, that, that those are the kind of twists I really like because like, oh, I kind of want to see this again and kind of see those little hints maybe where his character gets dropped a little bit or because I really noticed when Spider Peter Parker was saying like, oh, why can't you get Thor? And when he said like Captain Marvel, Nick, uh, Nick Fury was like, oh, don't invoke her name. And it was like, I didn't think much of it at the time, but if this was a scroll thing, you know, that relationship is very different. So there was a lot of things I liked about it. And ultimately, you know, maybe if I watch it a couple more times, I'll, I'll feel like this is the best Spider-Man movie. I honestly wasn't even factoring in um, into the Spider-Verse, which kind of complicates things because those three movies are just so they're so it's, great. Um, it's like talking about the best Batman movie and all of a sudden says Mask of the Phantasm. You're like, oh, fuck. God damn it! What is that? That messed up the whole ranking. Yeah, but in that's this case, that's it's fitting because you what you want to say before you forget Mass Venom. You want to say Dark Knight, and it's the one that got the fucking in the Oscars. It's the one the Oscars acknowledge. It's the best one. That yeah. is, I mean, the they're greatest. all they're, those three movies are all fantastic, and I think you could slot them in any order, and I don't think you're wrong. Unlike our pancake waffle French toast discussion we had er, earlier, there's very wrong answers in that. There's no wrong answers in Spider. Can I ask you guys? Because I know Mike wants to defend his honor uh, from that statement. Um, I don't even know if you guys have even thought this far, but uh, I felt like that mid credit is setting up for a villain in the third one that I've really wanted to see in the movies for a long time. And I think the identity reveal would make him a very compelling villain. Um, I've been wanting Craven the Hunter. Oh, that's, they, they, there is an article today so saying that the please. director wants that. Oh, please. Like, please, 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 like, please. Now you know his identity, so you can track who knows him. You can find his whereabouts. It has, like, the whole, you know... God, again, it's like it's the reason we always said, like, why can't you make? I, I, I mean, this may just be me though. I don't need him to be like with fucking like wearing like a fur coat, like uh, he's some sort of animal hunter shit. But you don't need the world's greatest hunter when you already know the guy's name is Peter Parker, and anyone with an internet connection can find out where he lives. Dude, he's gonna be on the Go run. Though. That's Craven that, the hunter, Mike. Yeah, Craven the hunter is awesome. Yeah, he's gonna be on the run. I think I I I yeah, I'm in for Craving the Hunter. Yeah, I'm also I, not shitting on Craving the Hunter. Hunter. I'm just saying that I don't think finding Peter Parker in this day and age needs Craving the Hunter. But you know what? You, you also think you also think pancakes are better than waffles, Mike. So I don't know. Okay? I don't know. Um That is objectively true that pancakes <laughs> are better than waffles, but we're not gonna get so into that. Incredibly again. not. Um, I'm gonna keep it on topic. You know, Jameson is gonna champion this Craven because he's not a super powered freak. He's just a really great hunter. He's a you know you make him a good old American patriot. Well, they might. We we we've seen Nick Simmons' guns. He he might be Craven the Hunter. (laughs) We could also go. You could also go like there's a new superhero in town and do somebody like that. Well, and and one of Jane Jameson's comic arcs is he creates uh, the Scorpion. Like he's basically yeah. like Spider Man's bad. I'm gonna make my own super, my own and, superhero. And he's like, oh, this dude and crazy, guys, and I gave him a giant deadly tail. Oops, my and bad. And if you guys remember from the first, from Spider Man Homecoming, Matt Gargan, aka the future mm, Scorpion, he is in jail with uh, Adrian Toomes, and he asks Adrian, "Hey, do you know who Spider Man is?" Like, we want. I- want to get back at him wait is it matt gargan matt, what's the name of uh, the it is matt gargan that's right it is matt gargan right yeah so hey you're you bringing up that uh 
J. Jonah, J. Jonah Jameson angle, maybe that could be something there. Are we going to get Miles Morales? Because we got some Miles Morales references the first time. We're talking about multi multiverses. Thought, Can we get a Miles Morales? I thought the blip was going to be their excuse to introduce Miles and make him like appear to uh, Peter. That he would have been a younger kid, but the blip will turn him into an older kid. I mean, they could do that shit too. Like and he's like, there's a new Spider Man. He's a different guy. This one's better. He's not a fucking. You know what I mean? Like, I, I kind of hate to take this angle too, and maybe this gets explored if they do Miles Morales. But like, I think one of the things that we all like about these Spider Man movies is they don't talk about his origins. But at this point, I'm kind of getting curious about how he got Spider Man powers. Is there an Oscorp? What exactly happened at this point? Two movies in, I'm kind of like, I kind of want it like. Don't do a whole movie, but I kind of want to know how this started out. I kind of want to know I... the backstory. Mar Mark's the one who wants in every. We want a Batman movie where his parents die in everyone. Mark's waiting for his uncle. If Batman. you have two movies, I start to wonder like, did his parents die? They're assuming we know. Honestly, I, I know, think that's it. I They're assuming. Know. Is there an Oscorp? Is there a Green Goblin? What's exactly well, in this universe? I will say this is kind of spoiler conjecture and take it for a grain of salt because it comes from the internet. Um, but I've read it from multiple sources that I personally find credible um that if you guys i don't know if you guys recall i was talking to one of you about this i don't remember who um there's a whole thing where they have a sign out front of the avengers tower which we knew was sold off a few movies ago and it says uh wait till you see what comes next but a lot of people have reported that in earlier test screenings it was an oscorp logo and it's osborne who bought avengers tower um, because you know the whole thing in Homecoming, they're packing up Avengers Tower. They got someone bought the building, you know. Um, and that makes sense because if Tony Stark's dead, Norman Osborn steps into the tech dealer role. That seems so. You, got, you, you don't think universe. we would have? You don't think we would have had Harry at this point? I mean, especially with the blip, they could have justified some kid who's his friend now who was like younger I mean, before. We don't need to do Harry at all because they're clearly not doing it. MJ is not Mary Jane Watson. Ned. That is Gangi. That's Miles' best friend, who Ned is. He, he's a compositive. They're not doing... This isn't... Again, this is an alternate universe. We're not doing the classic Peter Parker story here. So, you know, Tony Tony Stark was never the mentor for Spider-Man in any of the... It's a unique thing. So that's what that's what's, what's kind of interesting about the MCU, is it's not the traditional storyline that we know. So we don't need to bother with Harry Osborn. Like, you could introduce him later on, but it, at this point, it's not going to be the childhood best friend of Peter. It's going to be a different dynamic and if they bother to introduce him at all. Even as I bring up wanting to know his origins, I really do like how these movies are using... I mean, they're not new villains. These are established villains in the comics, but they haven't been in movies, right? They're not doing Doc Op. They haven't done Lizard. They're not doing Green Goblin or Venom yet. You know, they haven't hit any of that stuff. They're been do I mean, because look at... Marvel superheroes, they're um, what do they call it? They're villains. What do they have that like the Rogues uh, Gallery? The Rogues Gallery pretty much all suck ass. Like X Men have a couple good ones, and then Spider Man is basically the Batman. He has all of the coolest Rogues Gallery of villains, and I like how they're digging in, and I like how this next movie is probably going to be Craven, and that's another villain that doesn't get a lot of spotlight, like Vulture and like Mysterio, and especially Mysterio is like he was always going to be a weird one, right? He's a very weird villain. He looks weird. He doesn't have superpowers. He's basically just full of bullshit. How do you make that compelling? And I like how they're taking these villains that are kind of what you would consider to be secondary from like the main villains of Super of uh, Spider-Man and have really made them compelling stories. And I think you, they could go to Green Goblin and do Osborn. And I'm I'm still interested. Doctor in Doom. I mean, Doctor Doom. Give me, give me, give me, fuck. I swear to God, if uh, Doctor Doom's got to be the next the big bad for the Avengers, right? Like we're not doing this. Uh, well, like do us do this man some justice. The one thing I would like, what Steph said, going in another direction, if they do the Oscorp and Avengers Tower, one of the Marvel storylines is called Dark Avengers, and basically. 
Osborn becomes Iron Man and he makes his own Avengers that look like, like very much like Mysterio. They seem like they're good guys, but they're actually fucking bad guys. And I think that could be kind of an interesting arc to take. And, and, and again, one of those storylines that isn't like super well known, but you know, the comic fans know it. And it would be kind of an interesting contrast to see like, oh, there's these new superheroes. How do these other superheroes kind of conflict with that? How do they butt heads? I don't know. There, there's a lot of interesting arcs they can take. And so far they've been knocking it out of the park. So, hey, don't take my advice. I want them to do what they're doing because they're doing it great. Okay. Mike, do you have any final thoughts before we end this thing? It was an excellent movie. Agreed. Fair enough. Um, and uh, we'll be back next week. Um, I don't know if there's a there's I'm sure something's happening. We'll Someone talk about these fights. We we I'll watch one. Bobby will watch one. Mike will hear about one. Yeah, stuff on my to hear about that one from Bobby. <laughs> there you go. Um, and uh, real quick, and if Mike watches it, we'll watch. We'll talk about Stranger Things. I know Mark's like a season behind at this point. Yeah, he doesn't give a shit. Um, just real quick. If you're one of those people, and this isn't a spoiler for anybody because they've seen the people, anybody who's seen any of the show, if you're one of those people who's offended by smoking in a show set in the middle of the country in the 80s, I need you to like talk to somebody that like lived during that time at all and recognize that things were like that. It's really maybe, hard to put modern morals on the past. Yeah. It's really hard. Yeah. To I mean, like. It. It's like you're like complaining about like stuff in a, it's basically a period piece, guys. Hey, what, 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 what are you tiptoeing around? Stranger Things? People people got angry at Stranger Things for all the smoking in the show, which is all people fucking did. Like were, people smoked like people chimneys. Like, un, were these people like under the age of twenty two that don't remember the nineties? Because people, smoking people didn't stop still, smoking was still <laughs> a very prevalent thing until like ninety three. I mean, have you have you been around the world recently? It was a very prevalent thing until marijuana started legalizing. To be honest, I was want to say, has anybody been to any other part of the world? Like, oh, people man. still it smoke is, too it much. It is tough in Japan, where they have their standing smoking sections outside. You just walk one to buy those unknowingly. It punches you in the. Dude, lungs. I went to a soccer game at uh, Barcelona. Motherfuckers just ripping through cigarettes. Whole game. Oh yeah, can, no. I, can I chime in that story? It's like so. When I was at a, a Real Madrid game. I've told you guys the story. I I grin. I grit my teeth through 55 minutes of this old fat man smoking a giant cigar he finally finishes and i'm like oh thank god fresh air what does he bust out but his cigar case unwraps and freshly cuts a brand new like nine inch long cigar and then yeah i thought i was gonna die that night i mean just guys there's a lot of things going on in this world whether there's fucking smoking in a goddamn show with monsters come on man yeah, Some real shit going on. Just celebrate just, how much Uma Thurman's daughter looks and sounds like Uma Thurman. We have yeah. a 2.0. Basically. Just Uma 2.0. Good point. All right, boys and girls. Thank you all for listening. Uh, this is the part right. Thank you all for listening, which because I'm very thankful that you do. Um, I was Dr. Law. That was Kid Presentable. That was Lavender Goons. And that was DJ Mark. We'll see you, we'll see you all next week. Peace out. See you. Thank one. Jesus Christ. Pancakes have one vote, that is